Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Professor Madian Andrade, where I ask her, do spiders' exoskeletons ever go out of style? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I cannot wait for today's episode. It's like seriously so major. It's a long time coming. Who knew I was going to become a 30-year-old who's obsessed with insects, arachnids, and spiders? But it happened. And alas, let's introduce our guest, who is Madian Andrade. Her research on spiders centers on how the reproductive behaviors of males and females evolve through the interaction of sexual and natural selection in variable ecological contexts and how this shapes individual phenotypes and population level characteristics. She's also the president and co-founder of the Canadian Black Scientist Network, also known as CBSN, with a PhD in neurobiology and behavior from Cornell University. Manian has over 20 years of experience in science and research, teaching and outreach. Okay, first of all, that gave me chills on my thighs. Like Aww. your resume, <laughs> like you better. And I'm also, um, I wish people could see this podcast and I'm sure you get this all the time. Your hair oh. is so stunning. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And your texture, I'm, I, I did do this thing where I'm like trying to not compliment everybody um, on their looks because I was like trying to be a more like, you know, journalist. But in this case, I can't help it. Like your hair is literally too perfect and too stunning on you to like, I, I'm a hairdresser at heart first. I can't help it. Well, you must know that when I was... Uh, when I agreed to be on the show, the first thing I thought is, oh my goodness, it's Jonathan Van Ness. I have to do my hair and makeup. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're, I mean, I, we, I will, we'll get out on social. You, I mean, it's just like, oh, well, thank literally, you. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I never offer like unsolicited notes on people's hair anyway, but if I did, there's literally no notes. Like there couldn't, like, this is the most perfect hair. Aww. Like get out of my face. I can't even stand it. And the other thing that I just would be remiss if I didn't mention before we get into spiders your last name is very similar to the reigning Olympic gold medal winning vault champion. Wow. Rebecca Andrade from Brazil. Maybe we're distantly related. I hope so. Me too. <laughs> Me too. But here's the thing. We were minding our own business. I'm getting curious. When some cicadas came to town last summer. Like it was yeah. like a smaller brood. Not this summer, but last summer. Right. Then we met Dr. Jessica Ware. Then ever since then, I've been obsessed with Dr. Jessica Ware and insects, spiders, arachnids, all like all of this nature. I do kind of think it's somewhat Dr. Jessica Ware's fault because she's so interesting and fierce educator that I'm thinking that might be why I got so into it. But that's how we met you. And also she gave me her number, which I I think she might regret because now every time I see a spider... <laughs> Or a bug. I, I FaceTime her probably like three times a week, which I don't totally do to all of our guests. Right. Um, so, uh, but in that spirit, I'm minding my own business in the house. My friend slash assistant, Julie, is in the front of the house. She finds a literal dead tarantula in our front doorstep. A dead where tarantula. We- uh-huh. Because we live in Texas. We live right. in Austin. And I got a picture. I have a picture. I, I, I can show you. Love to see it. I FaceTimed Dr. Jessica Ware, and then we ended up FedExing it to the American Museum of Natural History. <laughs> um, like, surrounded in paper towels so that we wouldn't mess up the legs. Um, but then I was, but, but she was like, I think it died molting. And then I was like, now I have to learn about exoskeletons of spiders and, like, spiders. And then she was like, well, our friend 
median is like really the one. Oh, Jessica's amazing. And she's definitely doing her job by getting you completely hooked on things with exoskeletons. I love that. And I'm just going to give you a forewarning. Like, don't give me your cell phone number if you don't want me to like, <laughs> like we maybe just all like DM you. But that was famous last words because that's how it started with Jessica too. <laughs> so I actually keep tarantulas. When I was a graduate student, I had one for each member of my committee and I named them after my committee members. It was a way of making me feel more relaxed with my committee members. Um, and I saw them um, grow up. So I started them off as little babies and then I saved each one of their molt skins so that when I went out to do outreach with school groups, I could show them, you know, here's the spider now, size of my hand, say, and here's what it was like as a baby. And here's every single stage of its development from baby to what you see now. Okay. Well, I, I got to start at the beginning because now okay. I'll go off track. Okay. So just to get us started on like spider basics, because like I am literally no spider expert. And I would say I'm kind of scared of spideys in a way that like, you know, you know, like the cicadas don't totally scare me. And like the other ones, like, you know, praying mantis, a leaf bug, like spiders, I'm a little scared. So what is a spider? Uh, so spiders are air breathing arthropods, which are things with, you know, external skeletons. Uh, they have eight legs. They make silk at all or can make silk at all points in their life cycle. And then they have fangs, which are held in these these chunky things called chelicery, which hold the fangs in place. And that basically are the, the key characteristics of spiders. Um, but variations on that theme are huge, right? It's it's this huge group of organisms. We think there's about 50,000 different species of spiders. They're on every continent except for Antarctica. And they're awesome. Like they're, they're sort of top predator of the invertebrate world, right? Of the, the things, the creepy crawlies that move around. And they all have fangs. They all have fangs. Yeah. So they're not all big fangs, but they all have fangs. Yeah. I, that's when I get the most visceral reaction. Like I'm down with everything until you say fangs. And then I notice I'm grabbing my arms. I'm rocking. I'm scared. I feel like yeah. there's a spider behind me. So I just got to deal with that. But that's a separate episode. So basically like bugs, insects, arachnids. Isn't it just that like one has six legs, the other one has... There's so many differences. It's not just their legs. No, but you. But that's that's basically the biggest one. To someone just looking at them, six legs insect, eight legs spiders, completely reasonable way to split them up. And uh, insects also have three body parts, whereas spiders have two. Um, the word bugs is kind of a fun one because people apply that to everything. So, you know, everything from viruses and bacteria <laughs> right through to, to insects and spiders. So that is just sort of a fun term we use. It doesn't really have a scientific meaning. Okay, I love that. And we think there's 50,000 that's so, okay. So venomous spiders, because you know, like snakes, like there's some that have venom and there's some that like constrict. So like, it, like, or, because some spiders aren't venomous, but then some are, right? Well, so all spiders produce venom, but not all venoms can affect humans or vertebrates. So I think that's what people are thinking of, right? Stop the presses. Okay. So literally all spiders are venomous. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There is a spider called the spitting spider and the venom glands have been modified to actually create a type of silk that it actually spits out at, at its uh, prey and sort of splatches them against the wall like Spider-Man. Yeah, it's cool. Scary. Okay. So one other off the rails question, I'm sorry. Why is tail, tail's oldest time? I don't know if you like, if y'all heard about this in Canada, but we say it in America a lot. Is it true that daddy long legs, which are, I think, six legs, not eight legs, are they really the most venomous spider in the world, but they just don't have things big enough to bite you? Or is that a lie? That's a, that's a lie. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I I, so, so. <laughs> why, you know, so first of all, yeah, they're not spiders. You're right. They're a type of uh, arachnid, but they only have one body part. And as far as I can tell, 
from the literature that is just something people make up. Uh, if they don't have fangs and they don't use venom, why would they have venom? And why would it be the most most deadly type of venom in the world, right? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. I need to do an episode on daddy long legs. That would actually be cool. Because do they like, whatever, I, got, I can't even deal with them right now. There's like just too much to go on right, okay. with like just spiders. So, you know, I first saw Tarantula living on Lake Travis, minding my own business in like May of 2020. And it was so big. I looked over the balcony. It was like literally this big. And then yeah. it scurried under the rock and I almost shit my pants. <laughs> like you you would have thought that someone was going to kill me in, in the backyard. Like Mark thought, my husband thought that there was someone there to kill me. But it was a spider. <laughs> then I saw one crossing the street about a week later. Yep. Then I didn't see one again. Did not see one again. Until this past June. Another one. And then the dead one in our front door. Tarantulas, a lot of them live in burrows uh, or places where you wouldn't often see them. But when they are trying to mate, when males are trying to mate, they will start wandering and looking for females. So it's possible that what you saw was basically a male looking for love. Um, and that's why certain times a year you might see them, but you might not see them very often otherwise. That's hot. Yeah. Okay, so wait, what about the, so what's like their life cycle? Like their babies... Yeah, so they, uh, like other types of things with a hard exoskeleton, they have to shed to grow. So you're encased in this skeleton, you start to get bigger because you're eating and everything else. And then it's like, imagine like you're in a coat of armor and it's got you constrained, but you're growing, right? And you hit a certain size and you're too big for that coat of armor and you break it off and then you basically expand once the coat of armor is gone. And so that's one growth stage. So tarantulas go through multiple growth stages until they become sexually mature. And after that, uh, even because some of them can live for up to 25 years, 25 years, right? That's amazing. So for people who go out and think, you know, I'm going to kill a tarantula because it's a bug and I don't like it. It's like you're killing something that could have lived for 25 years. Um, so, yeah, I know your mouth. So it's, it's amazing. And so their, their body's covered in these sensory hairs. And as they age, some of those sort of wear off. And when they wear off too much, the tarantula will molt again and regenerate those hairs. So tarantulas actually can molt continuously throughout their life their lifespan. But up until the time they become sexually mature, each life stage gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So, oh, so they last longer. The skin or the, is it called, or no, the exoskeleton lasts longer. You can call it exoskeleton or molt skin. Yeah. So, so like we have this basket outside of our front door that like we keep open like for delivery. And it was like the, the, the lid always stays open and the tarantula was like underneath the lid. Like if you like, cause it was leaning up against the door. And so if right. you pulled the lid back, he was like laying between the crease of the, the box and then the wall. And Jessica, because we did send it, she said that she thinks it is a boy. And um, and so, but like, and it was, well, can I just show, should I just show you a picture really quick yeah, so that absolutely. we can just like rip the Band-Aid off? Oh yeah, that's cool. Oh, and see those things hanging out the front? You see the very things that look like front legs? Those are actually yeah. called pedipalps. They're the front um, appendages and they're modified legs that are used for mating. That's how you can tell it's a male. And I can see the little things uh, on them that they're used yeah, then she said, And then she said things. That's what she said. She yeah, thought it was a underneath. boy. Yeah. She thought maybe he died molting and he was like, cool, like went to go find a quiet, dark spot. And that's why he was there. 
Yeah, that's exactly what they do. So they he what you described looks like it would have been a shady spot that might have looked kind of like a little burrow because some spiders will go into the burrows made by other animals that have been abandoned and because it's kind of a safe spot. When they molt, they're super vulnerable. So what I just described with the sort of coat of armor bursting off, imagine that you're kind of soft inside of that until you build your next coat of armor. That's kind of how they are. So when they're molting, they really need to go somewhere safe. Uh, and then it seems as if if the humidity is too low or something like that, uh, then it doesn't happen successfully. They Their new coat of armor gets built while they're still stuck inside the old one. And that can actually kill them. So that's what, okay, so, t- okay, so, okay, okay, okay. Okay, let's slow this down. Do all spiders molt or just tarantulas? So all spiders molt. They they grow. So when you find, see a baby spider, it looks like a tiny little perfect adult spider, basically. Yes, yeah. But then it sheds uh-huh. and gets bigger and bigger until it hits its adult stage. Why don't we see them then? I feel like I don't see like, I don't, I don't feel like I see little, do other animals eat them? Well, oh. they're tiny. They If it's a web building spider, it'd be stuck in a web. And a lot of people actually, when the spider's big enough, they think it's a dead spider, but in fact, it's a molt skin. So like when I go out and go to school groups, I take my tarantula skins and people are like, whoa, you've got six tarantulas in that, you know, glass fronted box. And it's like, no, they're actually skins that you can basically reconstruct the spider from. Because actually Dr. Ware, because I obviously immediately FaceTimed her like four times in a row. Um, and then she answered on the fourth one. She was probably like teaching a class or like dealing yeah. with an emergency and I like couldn't stop calling. And she was like, I think I'm actually saying that to be funny. I think she picked up on the first try. I'm because sure. that would be like harassment four in a row. But I just was like, but, but, um, but she was like, oh, actually it might just be the skin. And then when we got closer, she was like, mm, no, that's it's like, the, that's the, uh-huh. Yeah. So, so it's, so how, so all spiders Molt, but some only live for like a year, right? Like yes. a season? Yeah. When the eggs hatch, uh, usually that's at the beginning of sort of their season. Um, so for a lot of spiders, that would be the beginning of the, let's say, the spring. Um, and they hatch their babies. They can eat and capture prey right out of the box. Uh, they can build webs, usually if they're web building spiders right out of the box and they start eating and they start growing. If they're one of these one season spiders, then they become sexually mature before the end of the year. They mate, you know, if it's female, they produce offspring and then they die. But lots of spiders also overwinter. So they can hunker down and spend the winter at whatever growth stage they're at uh, or uh, egg sacs overwinter. So if spiders produce eggs typically in these little balls that they cover in silk uh, and that whole egg sac can overwinter and then hatch at the beginning of the season and then go through that again. Okay, yes. Okay, 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 okay that makes sense. So with the tarantula, um, and I swear to God, we're going to get to meeting okay, today. Eventually. I swear we are. <laughs> um, but I just have so many questions, I'm a nightmare. So how old for a tarantula on their first one? And I need to know, like, what happens with the insides? Like, was it when they... Right. Um, so... The age when they molt really depends on how much they're eating. So development requires X amount of nutrients. And essentially, we have evidence that for some species, it's kind of a decision when you're going to molt. So let's say the animal's in a food-constrained environment, and it's just getting very little food through its whole lifespan. It's basically a decision. I'm going to become sexually mature within this time span, but I'll be smaller versus I'm going to stay longer as a juvenile and keep eating to get bigger. And so there's evolutionary reasons why they might pick one or the other, but it's kind of cool that, that, that they can do that flexibly. Um, so the total time really depends how much they're eating. Like the tarantulas that I had, um, one of them that I had was one of the largest species that uh, that we know of that can you know grow to the size kind of your hand, can be like six ounces in size, which is about six times heavier than a mouse, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and notice I said ounces and not 
grams. I did that just for you guys in the States. Um, oh, <laughs> and so, um, anyway, when they get to a particular size, when they become sexually mature, then investment has to shift into their gonads, right? Into producing sperm or eggs. And so that's really a decision, if you know what I mean. But if you have to be a particular size to survive or to get a mate, then you need to keep investing and keep growing. But the tarantulas I had, um, this really large one, it took about a year and a half to become sexually mature from the time I had it as a little baby. I fed it quite well, though. So that one exoskeleton lasted that whole time, like a year and a half? No, no, sorry. Uh, And then it grew probably once every two or three months, it would shed its skin. So it it, it is literally doing it multiple times. So really when I have this spider that this really large one, the size of your hand, I would have like eight molt skins for its its development. Uh, And then after that, when it becomes an adult and it only molts when, let's say, its sensory hair is degrade, then it would only be every once, every couple of years or so. So do spiders have like, You said air breathing. So do they have like lungs, kidneys, livers? So their guts are very different from ours. They do have uh, uh, book lungs, they're called. Uh, And so they, you can think of them kind of like our lungs, but they don't only breathe from those lungs. They also have uh, ways in which air can kind of make their way, its way into into the body cavity otherwise. Um, But the main thing is that they use oxygen. But unlike us, where we have, you know, the lungs are pumping and you've got the the blood vessels going in and out, they have these sinuses, big gaps where uh, we call it hemolymph. They're they're the equivalent of spider blood just sort of pools there and gets oxygenated. Um, And so they look very different. They do have a little bit of tissue that pulses like a heart would. And in fact, in some species, you can actually see through their exoskeleton and see the pumping, which is super cool under the microscope. Um, so they, they're very different from us internally. They don't have kidneys and livers. They have places where they put waste, but it's not, you know, being filtered out by a kidney. Do they poop? Um, they have little places where they store fat. They definitely poop. Everybody poops. I think there's a kid's book called that, which I love. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and But their poop is this sort of dried up white stuff. So if you've ever had a spider web in your house that you've kind of missed for a while, you'll notice there's this kind of white dried up crystalline stuff around. And that that's a mixture of poo and pee. So what else do they have about like the the storage? They store waste and then there's like a there's like a pumping tissue, but it's not really like a heart. Yeah, we just call it a contractile organ. Like it's it's just pumping tissue that helps to move that that spider blood around the body. Um but it looks, they look very different from us. So when you look at a female spider, they have a really big abdomen, right? The, the largest part of the spider, it's almost entirely filled with eggs when she gets to be sexually mature. So a lot of that space fills up with eggs. Of course, there's space for, for the venom gland in the head. There's space for the spinneret, for the, the, um, uh, silk building glands in the back end of the body because the silk comes basically out of the bum. Um, but otherwise, like a lot of that space fills up with eggs. Ah, and then, you know how, like, um, now we're going to be getting into meeting. I'm excited. So, you know how, like, like, is there, are boys or girls ever more venomous or less venomous than each other? Or does it depend by species? Um, so I know black widows better than other species. As far as I know, males and females have venom that have the same composition. That may be different in other species that I have to check, but I suspect not. What is different is uh, a couple of things. One is how much venom they release. 
uh, when they and if they bite you. Uh, the other piece is the size of the fangs. So that that's where that thing you hear about about daddy long legs comes into play. So for example, in my lab, we've got uh, generations of black widows. The males are about uh. the size of a rice grain. The females are the size of kind of a large marble. And the females' fangs can get through your skin. The males' fangs probably not. So males release less venom. They're less dangerous in general. Females, though, you got to watch out for <laughs> because they produce more venom, especially if they're mad at you. So females can produce and release different amounts of venom depending on the situation. So they feel threatened, like they might release more? Yeah. So, for example, in our lab, we uh, take away the female's egg sacs because we're mean. No, because that's how we rear them. So the female produces egg sacs once a month or sometimes once every two weeks. We take the egg sac out and put it in a new cage so that we can rear up her babies. Females do not like that. So whereas mostly black widows will sort of hang back and be retiring, they will actually try to bite the the tweezers we're using to remove the egg sacs. So they're very, very maternal. Oh my God. I know. It feels a little mean. I know. <laughs> do you ever let one, do you ever feel bad and like let one keep, keep one? Um, that only happens accidentally because what happens then? So females are kept in my lab in these clear, uh, plastic cages so that we can see the female as we're doing what we need to do, feeding her, et cetera. Once there's babies and a female, if you open the lid, you know, it's, there's a real risk of an escape. Whereas if we've got a, a, a cage that's only babies or only adult females, we know exactly how to deal with it. So none of them escape because if a black widow's population shows up in our building, they're going to know who to come talk to. <laughs> oh, so once the, so once the mom has egg sacs in the same thing, she wants to leave. No. So uh, it's more that the spiderlings uh, will be trying to leave. <sighs> And so it's oh. very hard to deal with both the adult female and the spiderlings as the spiderlings are trying to come out. Whereas when we deal with just spiderlings, we know that that's going to happen. So how long in the case of black widows do they like what's like the gestation period of the spider sack? So the um, the eggs are packed into this sack and there's between, say, 50 and 300, depending on the species, which is super cool. Pretty small, like a little tiny cotton ball. Uh, they hatch inside the egg sac after about a month or a month and a half, depending on the temperature. And they actually live inside for one growth stage. So to me, this is completely fascinating. And after this, you should really Google black widow spider hatching. Um, the egg sac has like 300 babies packed in there and they've hatched, right? So they're actually juveniles and they're like eating off their yolk sac or whatever, not eating, but getting nutrients from that. Um, and then one spider and I don't know why, one spider will cut a little hole in the egg sac and they all come pouring out. And literally, in some cases, we have to do, we call it a cesarean, we have to open the egg sac because no one has cut that little hole and we can see that they're, they've hatched inside because it gets kind of dark. Um, and we're worried they're going to get trapped inside. And we've actually had cases where the spiderlings are trapped inside because presumably no one cuts the hole, no one comes out. And then they die? And they die inside the sac, yeah. Have you ever had some, like, some of them died, but some of them lived? Yes, like when some of them eat their siblings inside the sack. Oh, so that happens? That does happen sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, does that happen even in like a healthy sack where one does open it, but some of them were just like, sorry, I got hungry, couldn't wait? That's a good question. I don't think so. So the way the spiderlings work in general, and you see this on the on the web as well, these web-zilling spiders are sit-and-wait predators, which means without stimulus, they kind of just sit to their conserve their energy. And then when prey hits the web, they kind of get activated. So when they're inside the sack, as far as we can tell, they're basically in this sit and wait kind of posture. Once the egg sack opens, they come pouring out. But on the web, 
if let's say a fly comes in there, um, juveniles, uh, spiderlings, they they are pretty indiscriminate in where they throw their silk. Let's just say that. So they all pile on this this spider. And if if brother, sister, whatever is in the way, they're wrapping it up and they're eating brother or sister as well as a, as a fly. So you do see some some cannibalism that way. Ah, okay, all right. So okay, wait, okay, oh man, okay, okay. So so many things that I have that are all like coming rushing at the same time. I can't even stand it. Okay, so with how so how do they how do spiders like and I guess it's they're all different and we are obsessed with black widows. Um, how do they like select their mates? Ah, spiders. Um, so spiders have very few neurons. I'm going to start with that, right? So we have a brain, we have all the sophisticated um, cognition, and spiders with only a few neurons can still make really sophisticated decisions about their mates. Um, basically, for web building spiders, and yes, I'm obsessed with black widows. Um, they make their decisions based on scent and based on vibrational signals. Uh, so they actually don't see very well when they're web builders. And they can smell females from a distance. So a male spider will develop on a web that's independent of females, right? They're carnivores. They tend to be independent. Um, and then they get the scent of a female sort of coming towards them once they become sexually mature. And they actually make a beeline for the female using kind of the pheromone or the perfume plume that comes from that female's web. So they track them down that way. Uh, for black widows, what's really important, though, for a male is they can actually smell whether the female has fed recently or whether she's likely to be hungry, particularly in species where the females are cannibalistic and kill males who approach and try to mate with them. I was going to ask about that. Like, so, like, is there like a praying mantis vibe to a lot of spiders? Meaning that they'll eat after they, like, they'll kill their, their baby daddy. Yes. And so, well, and th- sometimes they won't even let him become the baby daddy, right? So we have some mm. black widows where the female attacks before, uh, I won't say before mating, because of course if the male's dead, there's no mating, but the male comes to court and the female will kill him during courtship. There's other species where it never happens during courtship, but it happens during the mating itself. Like the species that I started studying as a PhD student, um, the male actually has this movement where he twists his body onto the female's fangs. And while she's chewing on him, he continues to transfer sperm and is fertilizing eggs. So it's this amazing behavior. And then in other species, after the male's done, he has to run like crazy or the female is going to try to eat him then. So with that, what was that species that you started studying in PhD school? Uh, this is the Australian redback, which is the Australian black widow. So the Australian redback male knows that he is going to off himself at the end. That's, I mean, to the extent the spiders can know, Yeah. And, and uh, the other piece, of course, that's weird is males have two copulatory organs in spiders. We haven't even got into the weirdest part yet. The male will approach the female, insert one of these organs and do this twist. So the female starts to eat him. Then he goes back on the web and courts her again and comes back with the second organ, mates again. And then she finishes him off during that second copulation. And that's only the red, red back, back ones? Yeah. Do all, so no other spiders do that. That's just specific uh, to those ones. Well, so among the black widows, which is the 30 species worldwide, we know now that there are three species where the female eat the male during mating at different places in their evolutionary sort of family. Uh, and so that's one of the things we're really interested in in my lab is how does something like that evolve? Why do they do it? Because like they need more nutrients while they're making the babies or this takes a lot out of me 
Mr. So I'm going to eat you. Yeah, you know, it's not that clear. The The interesting thing is that in, in the two species where the male is basically offering himself, like there's definitely a distinct behavior where the male moves his body into the female's fangs. Um, and so we think it's basically the male enticing the female to eat him. Uh, and she actually lets the male mate for longer if she does take him up on this offer. So it seems as if he's maybe transferring more sperm as a result. So it's beneficial for the male, at least in those species. One of the critical pieces though, is that males, a lot of males die while searching for females in the first place. So it's like you finally get to a web and if your chance of dying, if you looked for another female is like 85%, but there's something you can do right now that would increase how many babies you have, then, then males do it. And so that seems to be what's happening in these systems. Oh, because if that if that spider already spent all of his like energy finding that one, and he's like, if I go find another one now, I probably won't make it. So I just got to do something to make sure that I have babies now. And also the okay. predation, right? Spiders need their web to be really good at fighting off predators and things. And uh, they the male doesn't have that when he's searching for a mate. Oh, okay. And then you know how you said like web building spiders? How many other like categories is there? So there's tons of categories of spiders. I'm I'm definitely just talking about web builders. There are wandering spiders. Uh, there there are jumping spiders. There are all sorts that don't actually live in webs, right? So they actually are active hunters oh. that move around. Oh, but I gotta say, so if you were to see a jumping spider under a microscope, it's like a teddy bear. They have big forward-facing eyes. They're kind of, I, I don't call them hairy, I call them furry. They look furry. They have all sorts of amazing colors. And then on top of it, uh, jumping spiders are probably the most impressive for mating because males do a song and dance to convince females to mate. Uh, literally like shaking their legs around and there's all colors on their legs and waving their abdomen and then vibrating. And uh, if you were to watch it, it's it's totally incredible. And they don't have webs? They don't make webs. They make, they still have silk because jumping spiders. So, okay, I'll tell you, we talked about a little bit about phobias. A lot of people are afraid of spiders, tons of people. I think it's like flying snakes and spiders are right up there. Um, and they always tell me that the spider jumped or chased them. And I have to say jumping spiders are really one of the only species that or group of species that can jump. They do jump and they jump incredibly long distances for how small they are. Uh, but they, the only way they use silk is they, they anchor a little line so that when they jump, they have basically a safety line behind them. Oh, and then do they chase? Do, do, are they notorious for chasing or were they just imagining it? They don't chase people, but they chase their prey. And actually, uh, that's the other thing about jumping spiders is that they stalk prey like cats do. So they can actually anticipate where an insect is walking and sort of cut it off at the pass sort of thing or hide behind things to, to catch it. So they're they're really sophisticated, even though they don't have that many neurons. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I've given you like all these like random no, questions. I love this. But I but Median, I just read this article and it was talking about like these spiders that eat other spiders and they and they were and now I'm realizing they were coming for the web building spiders because they do this thing to them where they they'll hit their web they'll find the web and then they hit it to make them think it's a fly. And then when the spider like comes out, like I'm gonna get the fly, then the other spider's like and it like kills them. Yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. So spider, there's spiders that what the one you're talking about or the ones you're talking about, yes, they can mimic the vibrations that a prey item would make in the web. And that is exactly what they do. And some of them actually specialize in killing web building spiders by doing that. There's others that actually can mimic ants and they mimic them like so exquisitely that people sometimes don't realize they're spiders, even people who study them, even to the point of, you know, ants have like 
antennae that they sort of move around. The spider will hold up its front legs and do the same sort of thing as if it's an ant. It, it mimics the chemicals on its body and then it can just go into those nests and just like mow through a whole bunch of ants. That's amazing. Yeah, spiders okay, so awesome. and then And then are they, so do all of the different kinds have like... um the whole thing with like how they choose their mates and core, but they are, do they all have kind of have different? Cause it's like the, 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 the jumping ones have like their little song and dance. And then the other ones are just, you know, kind of have to like come up to the web and hope they don't die. Yeah. It's, it's all over the map again. And, and I should say the diversity is incredible. So the jumping spiders, as I say, elaborate song and dance, all sorts of colors, wolf spiders, which are another type that that's an active hunter. They also have a song and dance, but it's, it's much more, more uh, subtle. <laughs> um, and then some web building spiders, uh, like the black widows I study, they will court females by vibrating the webs and they'll do that for like eight hours before the female does or does not accept them as a mate. Um, there's other species where they basically sneak up on the female, kind of ride around on her because they're tiny, really tiny males compared to females. And they basically try to sneak a mating while the female's busy eating. And that's to avoid cannibalism mm. as well. So, and then we were talking about molting earlier. There's some species where the male just waits till the female's molting and then sneaks in there. So, you know, ah. those ones don't court. They're like, we're investing all our time in doing this sneaky thing as opposed to courting. Ew. So like consent's mm. not always a thing in spider culture. Um, and it's, and it doesn't seem like it's like, fun for them. They just kind of are doing it to have babies. And then my other question with um, the Black Widow families or like the Red Backs and the Black Widow families, Mm -hmm. um, do the boys ever mate but survive? Like, is there ever one who's like, we've ever like observed that was like, I'm not twisting myself in those fucking things. I'm going to get in, <laughs> I'm going to get out, and I'm going to try to live to see another day. Yeah, for sure. There's some species where males do uh, mate multiple times. And so they would be trying to avoid being cannibalized basically at all costs. Um and in fact, they will not bother to go to a female if they can tell she's hungry. So uh, black widows, Western black widows, Southern black widows, as far as we know, they can tell if the female's hungry from her her pheromones, from her perfume, and they'll avoid those females if they have a choice at all. And that way they can survive and mate again. Um, I should say too, that when we're talking about all the different kinds of spiders, there's actually some that are reversed in the sense that um, males build a big burrow and then the female comes and tries to convince the male to let her use the burrow to lay her eggs in. And if the male doesn't like her, he eats her. (laughs) This is some awesome work from South America. Um, Yeah. So it's pretty cool. It goes both ways. That's okay. And now I would just be like, I'm also curious about this. Have we ever observed like, you know, intersex spiders that just like developmentally, like don't develop either which way? You know, that is really interesting. And that's the problem with the work we do. And actually, there was this great talk by um, by one of my colleagues who talked about how what queerness can bring to, especially to behavioral studies, because we tend to look at averages. And sometimes all the interesting stuff is not in the averages. It's when you start looking at something that's different or at the extremes, right? Which is basically what I do. Sexual cannibalism is one of the extremes, but it lets you understand all these other things. And that was their point was that, in fact, you know, if you take a queer lens on behavior, behavior and start saying, okay, sure, I may have only seen this once or twice in the lab, but really I'm selecting for average behaviors. What's actually going on in the field? We don't know. We don't know. So that that's the that's the kind of exciting thing about starting to build in some complexity, just like I feel like we're finally doing kind of socially, right? To understand that things yes. are way more complex than the averages we used to talk about. 
oh, I know, which is just kind of, I mean, it's really interesting and amazing, but it is annoying for like, even, even I'm as queer as they come, but like, I do love like a nice clean box. Like sometimes you just want yeah. a definitive answer, but I just, the older I get, the more I think it just is never, ever like that. No. So with those Australian ones right, and, and the, and the black widows that you study, is there ever, cause do the, do the black widows in your guys' lab, do the boys do that twisting? I'm going to shove myself in your fangs thing. Some of them do. And some of them don't species wise. Yeah. Oh, some species do oh. and some species don't. Oh, and you have all the species at your lab? Well, at one point we had eight different species we were working on. Right now we're down to just a couple, but yeah, we have more than one in the lab. So my question is, is in the same species, is there ever, is, so is there some boys who do the twist and I'm serving myself to you? And there's some who's like, no, lady, I don't want to die. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. Um, there is variation. And so um, in one species, it's really extensive variation, like maybe 80% of males do the twist and 20% of males don't. And they think that some of that variation depends on whether the female seems to be worth investing in. Um, in the blackwood, in the redbacks, the ones from Australia, it's almost every male that does this. Um, so that seems to be less the case for them. But yeah, the cases where it's sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, then we can really start probing, okay, what makes you decide to do that or not? And that's really interesting. And then have we ever like seen like in like the Jurassic Park, like petrified sap or whatever? Has there ever been like, like how do we know about this evolution? Is it just through like fossils or like how do we know like how they like behaved? So uh, behavior is hard to capture um, in the fossil record, but some of it's there. So like we have really ancient, especially in amber, spiders with their webs and prey in amber. Like not a lot of them, but enough that it's just like, okay, we know for sure that orb webs developed really far in our evolutionary history. Um, otherwise, some of the techniques we use are actually looking at modern species, what we have of the fossils. And then now with molecular techniques, they can say, okay, their, their genome looks like this. Here's how it differs with their relatives. And they can actually use sort of mathematical techniques to predict how far back it goes in time, right? From these species, we know that this mm. thing evolved at this rate so that we can infer something like this. And then if we know what we're looking for, you can start looking in that period in the fossil record to see if you can find some fossils. I'm so relieved that you just said orb weaver because my husband would have been so fucking pissed if I didn't ask about this. Okay. So in addition to the huge tarantulas that we've seen, I was, again, this other day, all these stories start the same with spiders. I was minding my own business, honey. I was getting <laughs> these ghost, I was, it was getting these ghost peppers off the, because I have this like fierce ghost pepper bush that just keeps ghost on giving. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've had these fuckers, pl- excuse me, I don't want to talk about them like that. I've had these gorgeous bushes planted since May and they are still producing so many peppers and wow. still flowering wow. on December 1st. You're no, they're like next level. No, these three, but like, but last year, all my shit was dead by like October, November. Like these ghost okay. peppers are like, I just must have picked like the right spot because like nice. there's just still enough. Like I really like, mm, they're <laughs> on my, it's, 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 they're, they're major, but that's where this orb weaver was. And it was huge. I was like getting my things yeah. and this, I'm actually getting chills on my thighs again, just thinking about it because the thing was, is that my face was maybe six inches from this spider because I didn't yeah. re- I didn't even see it. I was so focused on the ghost peppers. And then I was like, oh, that's not. And then I was like, it literally was like right here. And it was like, <laughs> and it was, and it had like, and it was yellow. It had like a yellow butt. Like it was like a yellow black butt. Black stripes and it, or just all yellow? Yes. I think it was, I don't know, remember. I feel like there was some black. I feel like there was some yellow. But what I remember the most, once I realized how fucking close I'd been to it, in the middle of the web, there was this like, same momentum, really? cool. <laughs> like yeah, a squiggle. Yeah, like that, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. And then a few days later, it was gone. And I was like, because there was this big storm. And I was like, oh my God, it's gone. And then two weeks later, I'm pretty sure I saw the same spider with the exact same web in a different part in the garden. Like it rebuilt. What was that? Like, what is that? That's awesome. What is, can you tell us what I saw? You just actually described what it is. That's amazing. So um, what you described sounds like Argiope, which is one of the big orb weavers, you know, the concentric circle webs uh, that we find in North America. And there's a bunch of different species, but they're all, a lot of them are the bright yellow, some are silver. Um, and a lot of them build what we call web decorations or stablementa, which looks like a squiggle, a dense squiggle of silk in yes. the web. Um, there is a huge debate in the spider communities, and there are spider communities, <laughs> about what the function of that squiggle is. Some people think that it actually um, attracts prey to the web, that has a particular um, reflectance that attracts prey. Some people think it helps keep the spider cryptic because the web is otherwise invisible. You can see the spider, but if it sits sort of at the end of the stable momentum, it, it's harder for the insects to see. Uh, and so they still crash into the web. Um, so it's not entirely clear what it is, but just from what you described, I think it's probably an Argiope. And the other thing is that female orb weaving spiders take down their webs usually at night and then rebuild them during the day. Some species eat the silk, some species don't. So that's probably what you saw. And certainly they can tell often when a storm's coming, the, the human, the, uh, barometric pressure changes and the spider will change its behavior, probably hunkered down and then may have moved maybe to a better spot where, where Jonathan isn't breaking the web <laughs> with his face. Um, and then build a new web. <laughs> where do they, where will they hide in a storm? Will they dig a hole? Do they go into like a different hole uh, or something? I, can't inside. tell you for sure. They come inside. Yeah, they come, they inside. come in the house. <laughs> they might. No, they probably can. So spiders could just like, it depends on where they usually live. So spider webs usually have a refuge, a sort of denser area of silk that is often off the web, which is where they hang out when they're not on the web. And so they can actually build themselves like kind of a little cocoon-like thing and, and attach it to something. So that might be a plant. It might be towards the base of the plant. If it's an animal that lives usually in a burrow, then it would probably go into its burrow and hide out there. Um, can I tell you one cool story about spiders and their burrows? Please. <laughs> okay. So, tell me everything. I worked on um, black widows in British Columbia, and there's little area of relic desert there. Most of it's been watered into, you know, uh, fruit orchards or, or whatever wineries. Um, but there's this area that's like the desert and the spiders build their holes in these burrows. And I didn't realize how deep under the ground there were until one year there was a fire in that area. And the fire was so hot that it could actually warp PVC, you know, plastic, that dense plastic tubing. As soon as the ground got cool again, the spiders were back up. The black widows were back up. So they were in some sort of burrow that was deep enough that the incredible ground temperatures of a forest fire did not kill them, which to me is completely remarkable. Like they can just, so if they can, if they can survive that, they can survive a storm. You know what I mean? Yes. Again, all spiders molt. So even those orb weaving ones, even those ones that dig. But then if they only live a year, maybe they just don't molt as many times as like a tarantula does. And they don't molt once they become an adult. So tarantulas on those really long to live ones, they can molt again later. But these other ones that you're talking about that live for a year, they'll have whatever, however many stages their life are, sometimes five or seven molts, become an adult, and then that's it. They no longer grow, mm. they no longer molt. So then what made you obsessed with spiders? Um, so I was afraid of spiders as a kid. I'll admit that. Um, and 
I, when I started studying, deciding I wanted to study something, that was as an undergrad. I, at first I wanted to be a doctor. A lot of us do when we like biology. And then I started learning that there was a thing called research and it was fascinating and especially behavior. So I started working in labs to figure out what I wanted to do. And really early on, I was like, I don't like working with vertebrates. I feel like I don't want to keep a vertebrate in a lab and I don't want to manipulate them in any way. So I knew that I wanted to work on invertebrates. Uh, and then spiders are just like the most fascinating thing. Uh, I started my master's degree and my supervisor sent me a paper that was about that twisting behavior. Uh, and, you know, the deal was sealed. I thought I was going to do something else later, but I just, I've been working on black widows ever since. So, <laughs> ah, that I get it. I and mean, they're just so cool. Yeah. So, and then what about, so what has been, because you've been doing this, you've been researching for... Uh, let's say, do I have to tell you, 30 years, 25 years? Black wow. Bears. Yeah. <laughs> what has been the thing that, like, so you told us if your story about how they survived the fire. What's been, like, the most surprising revelation or, like, like delightful, like thing. Okay, I'll tell you that one of the things that we find most exciting and interesting right now, or I do, um, uh, this is work with a bunch, and I always, I'm saying I, but it's always with graduate students, my fantastic, amazing graduate students. Uh, we've discovered, so I'll say we, we've discovered that not only can males smell females from a distance, but they use information about whether females are nearby from that smell to change how they develop. And if they smell a lot of females nearby, they actually become sexually mature faster so they can get out there and beat competitors to that female. But if they don't smell any females nearby, they actually slow down their development and just spend more time eating because they are going to have to search further for females. So that what that actually means is they're changing their gene expression to change their development as a function of what they smell about their current environmental context, about the challenges they'll have as an adult. So I think that's super cool. What about eyesight? Do they see well? Jumping spiders see really well. They they actually have image forming eyes, which if you, again, Google jumping spiders, or if you get one on your hand, jumping spiders are very innocuous. If you look at them and move your head, they'll actually move their head and track you, <laughs> which is amazing um, because they can actually form images with their eyes. But outside of jumping spiders, spider vision is really variable. And web building spiders can't see well at all. Kind of dark and light. And that's about all. Because tarantulas don't build webs. They don't. They line their burrows usually with silk, uh, but they don't build webs. Uh, and a lot of their uh, ability to move through the environment is based on vibrations and scent. So uh, most spiders have that, even if they don't have vision. Um, And then... Oh God, tarantulas! They are just that God. They are just a lot. That is just they. That is just. And then oh, and then the orb weavers. How long do they live? Are they like a three year spider or like a one year spider? A lot of them are like you know Charlotte's Web kind of one year spiders. Uh, yeah, so they're they're not typically living for more than one season. Um, yeah. So sadly. Oh, and I thought of something else. Can I tell you one more thing about the latest yes. things in my lab? Okay, so I described how the spider develops basically inside this shell. Uh, when a female is about a week away from becoming an adult, so that molt, final molt before becoming an adult, the black widows, inside she has created all her, her genital apparatus. So the place where she stores sperm um, and the place where she will eventually mate through her genital openings. Male black widows can actually find females at that stage and they will open up the exoskeleton and actually mate with them even though they're not formally sexually mature yet. And then when the female molts and becomes an adult, 
she doesn't need to mate at all. So it's like they've moved, everything's moved to an earlier stage. Males are so competitive that they have developed this competition to find females even earlier than before they become mature. And maybe that's actually creepy now that I've said it out loud because people say weird things about that. Well, anyway. you know, well, there it is. But we also read that you, the, the lab takes care of 50,000 spiders. Yes. Yes. At a time. How does this? We have this huge operation. How big is that room? Is it just like spiders wall to wall? Yes, it's spiders wall to wall. So we have this rearing facility that's just like shelf upon shelf and tray upon tray with these boxes of spiders. Um, in, in all of them are spiders of different developmental stages. Basically, we have a huge operation, at least huge for me. We have eight to 10 assistants who put in about eight hours a week feeding spiders and cleaning their cages. And the thing about spiders is that they are... Um, carnivorous, right? They're, they're predatory. So you have to keep them one per cage once they reach a certain size. So as babies, we have these 300 babies. And then when they get a little bit bigger, they get to two or three molts. We separate them into individual cages. And then we just have this machine of feeding them and it's all live prey. So one room has flies and crickets and mealworms. A couple of other rooms have spiders, tray upon tray upon tray of spiders. And then, yeah, we, we need those for their experiments. So I estimate 50,000. There may be a bit more when we're really at full speed. The pandemic has slowed us down a bit, but. Is there ever a spider who like just doesn't want to eat the prey and they just want to be friends with them? (laughs) Or do they always eat them? They always eat them. They always eat them. And actually, I do feel sorry for the flies sometimes because we use uh, fruit flies, Drosophila, uh, and they are fed to the babies. So the babies are like maybe 200 in a cage initially. And what we do is chill the Drosophila so that they're basically asleep put them in the web and they wake up like (laughs) in what I imagine would be a a fly's worst nightmare, which is you're already in a web. And as soon as they start moving, the the spiderlings get them. So sad for this, but that's okay. It's like, and then um, like, uh, um, and then here's another, this is the question I had a minute ago. Has there ever been like, uh, like, like, like could a tarantula and an orb weaver have a baby? Or could like a, or could like a, could it get like, do we ever, like, is there like a gorgeous, like, different kinds of new spiders that are like of two other spiders? Yeah, hybrids. There are, but it's never like orb weaver and tarantula. It, um, they're, they're, that tends to happen when the species are fairly closely related already. Uh, so among black widows, for example, you can have hybrids. In fact, in Texas, the western widow and the southern widow overlap. And there's some hybrids there. So there's some people studying that they do sometimes intermate. And sometimes those hybrids don't do so well, right? They they kind of are the end of the line. And in, in some oh. cases, they, they, they do okay. And they might create a new species, basically, from those hybrids. Do we know about any species that are like, a, that did good? And they're like, a, like, they're like the cool new... Like uh, one? Yeah, historically. So if you study sort of the evolution of some of these groups, you can infer or you can um, take a look at the the genes of two different species that are closely related and maybe a third species. And then you can figure out the ways in which it might have been a hybrid that actually then became its own species. But you pretty much have to figure that out from tracking backwards in time through the genetic uh, footprint, basically, of intermating as a spider expert yeah what spider are you seeing and you're like fuck i'm scared i'm not staying in this house or like like what one do you see that you're like Uh even though you've overcome it but like which one is like the fucking most dangerous that we like interact with that like if you see what like is it the brown recluse no so to be honest i'm not afraid of the ones that can kill you or give you a sore 
the really big ones are just really hard. The really big orb weavers are the ones that kind of get me. Um, and I think it's because I don't like walking into webs. I mean, no one does, right? But like in Australia, mm-hmm. there's some orb weavers that are like the size of your hand. And they're big and the web is strong and you walk into it and you don't know where that giant spider with its relatively long fangs is. Um, in fact, I once we, we collected some once or some people collected some and sent them to us. And I was... Okay, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say this. So we were allowed to drive them across the border with our permits, but I had to drive down to the States, get the shipment of spiders, and then process them in my hotel room. <laughs> I won't tell you which hotel, <laughs> but which means taking the spiders out of the little cages because they were they were shipped the way you described. Like you put cotton on them and press them down, but you need to move them out of that. So I was transferring them into separate cages. And these were these big orb weavers the size of your hand from the South. And when they land on the table... It's like you can hear the skittering of them like walking. Do you know what I mean? And it's just well, really no, ours was, Mine was, ours was dead. Oh, yours was like, dead. My, the one yeah. That, I think it's the sound. Was, and then, yeah, it was, it was a lot. No, because we just wanted to send it to Dr. Jessica Works. I was, well, on the face, I was like, she was like, if you collect that, we can like make it a specimen in our gorgeous like things. And then you and Julie will be like in the American Your name Museum is of on Natural it. History. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. So we, so we had to like put it in there with like, so I cleaned out this like guacamole to go container um, <laughs> that, and I cleaned it out and I washed it out. And then we put like paper and by we, I mean, Julie, because right. I obviously didn't <laughs> fucking do it. I was like too scared. I oversaw. It's like Diane okay, Keaton said in my first, I oversaw this. I was too scared. Julie is like the one who had the cojones to actually do it. But she put like paper towels between the legs. So yeah. it'd be like perfectly preserved. Nice. But yeah, you were just getting the spider out to stretch its legs and stuff because it had been like all cooped up. Yeah. So you were yeah. just doing the spider a solid. Was but it was huge. It was huge. It was huge. Um, Did it try to bite you? No, it didn't. I think any anything it, I felt was completely in my own head, right? Like, that's the thing with spiders. Most of the time, it's in your own head. Unless it's a Sydney funnel web, then it actually is trying to bite you. <laughs> a Sydney funnel? What's that? Sydney funnel webs are, are another one of those species that can hurt people. Like, the venom is, is venomous for, for human beings. But they're aggressive. So they will come up to you if you sort of interrupt them when they're doing their thing. Whereas other spiders try to get away. So, yeah, Sydney funnel webs Where do webs they live fun. in Sydney? Sydney. Everything in bad is everything dangerous is in Australia as far as I can see. <laughs> yeah. And, they, and, they, and so are they like a house dweller, those Sydney's, those ones? They are a tunnel dweller, but some people say that Sydney's actually got just riddled with tunnels of these things all over the place. And so the Sydney funnel webs could pop up anywhere. So I, I you know, I don't like to vilify spiders, but that's the one that I would oh. be, that I would be definitely backing away from. Okay, got it. Um, but so is there, if there's anybody, because there's definitely been times through this recording, especially when you say things where I just feel a little creepy crawly. My hoodie could be a little longer and I've noticed that I've like kept pulling it down a lot because like I didn't want an imaginary spider to like crawl up my back. So if there's anybody listening to this that are just like scared of a spider, is there anything that you can do to kind of help assuage their fears? Uh, so I, I do just tell people they're not aggressive. Most spi- most spiders, like 99.999% of spiders are trying to get away from you. I mean, imagine something relatively as big as a human is to a spider, right? There's not much they can do to you. So they're trying to get away from you. The other thing is I used to tell people, learn a little bit about them, like, and it sort of relaxes you. They don't care about you. They're trying to go about their business. But then I did have a friend who said, yeah, I learned about them. And then I learned that there's usually one within a meter of my hand at all times and it didn't help, <laughs> you know? So maybe just be confident that they're not trying to hurt you. <laughs> 
Is that statistic true? That whole like one every like three feet? Uh, well, so that was basically derived by estimating how many spiders there are in the world and then dividing it by the landmass, basically. So it's an average. Again, this thing about averages. But there's there's spiders in a lot of places where you wouldn't expect there to be spiders. I would agree with that. And now our final, I think this is the final question. Okay. You did you did really good. Unless oh, you thanks. have like, unless there's anything that you need to like, what? I have is a video I want to what? show you. I, I, I can oh. show you and then you can hear the vibration signals if you want to hear it later. But we can t- get oh, your question. I, I'm, I'm dying to hear it right now. Okay. So why don't I show you the video? Um, so these are videos. Uh, I'm sharing sound. Yep. So here we go. So that is a laser, a recording from a laser being shone on the web. And the male, you see how its body's moving up and down? He's making those vibrations on the female's web to kind of say, come hither. Um, and, and then I want to show you this one, and then I will stop. But the, So these are two males competing for this female. These are black widows. This male is bigger than this male. And what we find is like the little guys, as soon as they detect there's a big guy on the web, will retreat. And what you're going to see in this video is the little guy starts courting that sort of vibrate, boom, 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 boom. The big guy will make a a vibration that makes the small guy stop. And then the female will just say, like, shut it all down. And you'll hear the difference in the sound that they produce. So let me show you. Okay, so that's a little bit of female vibration. That's the little male now moving in. And that big male made a move. Now listen for the female to say, okay, you guys, cut it out. Coming in a minute. There's the female. (laughs) So it's like an order of magnitude louder than what the males are doing, right? And so what we find is the males compete on the web, but the female at some point is just like, look, guys, shut it down. Like, I don't want you interrupting the vibrational sort of environment on the web because that interferes with prey capture. So anyway, what they're saying to each other is fascinating. Did she make it? Did she go with one of them at the end of that? In the end, she did. She made it with a bigger guy. Ah, uh, yeah. and then did he kill himself for her? Not in this species. He got away and he could actually mate another day. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so fierce. Thanks. Wait, and so is there, um, what, and then, and like, and you're, I, I, like, what are you guys working on in the lab now? Like, what are you guys doing these days? So all sorts of things. One thing is we've started working on false widows, which are related to black widows, and we don't know much about them at all. So that's like a whole new thing. And they don't court for as long, and they sort of pull the female around while they're mating. So we're trying to figure out what's going on there. But the other piece, the really big piece, is asking about how... So two of the black widow species are invasive. And they're, one of them in particular is found all over the world now, um, and others aren't invasive. So we're asking what makes the difference between those things, and is it related to how flexible they are in their mating? Um, because, you know, when a, uh-huh. an animal invades, they have to, like, establish themselves, produce lots and lots of babies, and then be successful in that new place. And part of that is finding a mate. So we're kind of interested in how that plays out. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, I, I think... I felt like I did have another question that like I thought of, but I didn't have a pen and I didn't write it down, which just makes me devastated. Let me just like rack my brain for one more second. Sure. Reproduction. What did we miss? We talked about reproduction. We talked about silk. We talked about dead spiders. We talked about, oh, it's right there. Oh, yes. Ah, <laughs> yes, I remembered. Okay. So you know how you were saying that spiders use other animals' burrows? Yes. 
Has there ever been like a tarantula that's like, ooh, this will be a nice place to mole. And then they accidentally go into like a currently used snake burrow and then the snake kills the spider. Um, I would imagine there has been. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've seen reports of that, but for sure there's got to be, right? Because snakes... I don't know if it'd be a snake. It might be a rodent. Some rodents will eat spiders and things like that as well, like little mice and stuff. Um, so I would guess, yeah, there's got to be missteps sometimes. But I would also say that depending on what kind of spider it is, it could actually kill the critter that's in the refuge, right? So black widows, for example, could kill a small mouse or a snake or a lizard that's inside something that they're trying to inhabit. Has, have we ever seen a black widow or a spider like eat a snake? Yes, I have. I've seen it in the field. You'll see pictures of it on, on the internet and people will say, oh, that's fake. And it's like, no, I've actually seen it. I've seen spiders eat, black widows eat snakes and also uh, small skinks, uh, uh, reptiles. So was that a, a big female black widow then that would eat a little snake? Uh, yeah, it's an adult female. Uh, the venom affects vertebrates. Like that's the amazing thing about black widow venom one piece of it is specific for for invertebrates for things like insects one part of the venom is specific to vertebrates and can take a vertebrate down and that's what makes them so dangerous and that's like seems to have been have evolved specifically for that function if you get bitten by a black widow or like is it kind of like with spider bites like you just need to get to the doctor like the hospital like right away if it's like a, a really venomous spider with black widows, luckily, it doesn't have to be immediate. The venom um, has its effects develop slowly over time. So if you get to the doctor, say, uh, so, and a lot of people can just sort of ride out the symptoms, but if it starts to become painful or if you're bitten near the heart or something like that, or near an air passage, then you might want to get to the doctor sooner, like within a few hours. But the venom effects develop over sort of hours to days. Uh I've in the so I've been in in, at, in my lab for 21 years now, raising like 50,000 spiders a year, and in all that time with you know many many students going through my lab, there's been one person who was bitten, um, and that one person was not paying attention to our protocols, <laughs> but that person said that they felt very ill for about four days, and they did go to the emergency, but they they just said you need to write out the symptoms. They said it was like the worst flu they'd ever had for about four days, mm. and then. Okay, I think, I think, I think we did it. Great. Where can people find you? Are you on Twitter? Do you use the gram? Where do you like talk about how much you love spiders? I am on Twitter uh, and I'm at Widow Web, <laughs> which, uh, which I grabbed early. Um, or my, um, my website is www.madian.ca. Uh, or you can find me at blackscientist.ca. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I had so much fun. I can't even stand it. Thank you so much for taking your time and educating us about spiders more. And just thank you for being like a fucking fierce ass scientist, gorgeous black woman. Honey, you're oh. amazing. And I just love, like, I just love all these, like, fierce lady scientists in my life. I can't even help. I just am so obsessed. And I've got to say, your podcast is amazing. I just, I thought, have you, is there any woman scientist you haven't interviewed? And they're all just right on point. So just thank you so much. Well, girl, excuse me, doctor, of course. <laughs> and, um, and I guess that there is actually, like, how would you encourage other um, young people, young women, young mm -hmm. non-binary people that you were yeah. mentioning like that queer lens of science and how important that is. Yeah. I mean, even for me, like being a hairdresser, like I didn't know exactly like how to go about doing that. How would you, if, if someone's listening to this and they're like my cousin or my kid or me or whoever, I think, I think I want to become a research scientist. How would you tell people, what do you need 
to do to make that happen? I would say the key thing for people who may not be like the average person, right? For whatever reason, the thing that you want to do, you don't see anyone like you doing it. You need to have a support network, whether it's your family, your found family, your friends who are just saying to you, yes, yeah, you can actually do that. And you may have to weather microaggressions. You may have to weather people thinking you can't do it, but you need someone who's on your side saying you can do this and just saying that to you consistently. And that's what I don't like social in some ways, but that's what I like about social. If you get into the right um, environment, the right group, you tap into the right group, then you also get some of that from that because you can start saying, oh, like, okay, maybe I don't see anyone in my neighborhood doing it. But in California, there's someone who's like this, who's just like me, who's doing this awesome thing. And, you know, obviously I can do it too. So a lot of it is confidence, unfortunately. Um, but some of that can be fake it till you make it. <laughs> mm, yeah. I love that saying. I've used that in my life a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you so much. This is so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on Getting Curious. And we just love you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. Our guest this week was Professor Madian Andrade. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thanks so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend, honey, and show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our socials are run and curated by Middle Sea Digital. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Zara Krim. 